three, two, one. And we're live. Uh, hello, everyone. This is your host, Christopher Carter, from the From Where I Sit podcast. Today, I have a guest from north of the border. Her name has forced me to dust off some of my old high school French for inflection. Her name is Sandrine Marois. Did I get that right? Oh, absolutely perfect. Well done. There we go. There we go. So, Sandrine. Sandrine is a photographer, a poet, and an author. Tell them a little bit more about yourself uh, from where you're from, where you are currently, and what, you, what it is you do. Hi, everyone. Uh, thank you, Christopher, for having me today. I really appreciate it. Uh, so has uh, Christopher said it really well. My name is Sandrine Marois. Uh, I am originally from Toulouse, southern France, and I moved to Winnipeg, Canada in 2003. So I've been here for uh, quite a while. So um, as you said, I'm a photographer. Uh, I specialize in nature, close-up, and black-and-white photography images. I have been writing poetry for... A very long time now. This is actually my 15th year as a poet. Uh, so my career started in 2005. <clears throat> and uh, I've also worked in many, many different fields, uh, which has given me uh, unique, unique insights into the indie world. I haven't just worked as a photographer or a poet. Uh, I've uh, written books in several genres and I was a social media coach um, and content curator, uh, professional blogger for several years, almost the entire 2010s. Um, so it's been a while I've seen <laughs> quite a lot of things. Um, I'm also the co-founder of a photography collective called F-Point Collective and the co-founder of a poetry journal uh, called Aurora, Auroras and Blossoms Poetry Journal, uh, which is a magazine that focuses exclusively on uplifting um, and positive poetry. Um, and we, uh, we cover pretty much every topic um, except for erotica and politics. Uh, but the goal is to, uh, as with everything I've done in my career, is to um, highlight the positive and the uplifting uh, things in life. Uh, I've also created my own poetry form uh, called the Sisku, uh, which is a poem uh, based on the haiku, my favorite poetry form. So that's me in a nutshell. Okay. That's a lot. You wear a lot of hats, I see. Yeah, <laughs> I'm always busy. Yeah, I can, I can see that. Um, so I would like to start with the photography. Um, mm -hmm. I want to know, where did your love of photography come from? Well, it's, it's very hard for me to talk about it because as every passion I've had in my entire career, uh, I joke about it and I say my, my, all my passions have stalked me until I was ready to embrace them. So it's very um, a, a strange way of putting things. But uh, honestly, it came to me... Out of the blue, you know, I was in, in, in Syria in 2009, uh, a couple of years before the Civil War started, and I fell in love with a country that I visited. And I had a point-and-shoot camera with me 
so I had no clue what I was doing at the time. Um, so I took photos. Just I saw things. I took photos, and I I came home and I started sharing the photos without editing them because I didn't know what I was doing. So um, a few months later, a magazine actually um, contacted me asking if I would be interested in 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 selling them a specific photo that I had shared on the on my on the blog, and you know I was very surprised at the time. But uh, they ended up not using the photo, but it really gave me ideas. I'm like, well, maybe I'm good at that, but I wasn't uh, really sure with that. Um, I just continued taking photos with my point-and-shoot camera at the time. You know, I moved on, and a year later, I was in Vancouver for the Olympics. And I was in uh, a very famous Chinese garden there, uh, the Dr. Sun Yat-sen classical uh, Chinese garden. And I started taking photos. And when I came home, I I noticed a few photos in particular. And one that really mesmerized me, I wondered what. Is it really you took the photo? That's there's no way. Uh, But I decided to use the photo on the cover of one of my poetry books at the time. And uh, people asked me uh, when they saw the cover, is it you who took the photos, the photo? Is it really you? Are you that person? Are you a professional photographer? I'm like, no, 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 not at all. (laughs) I have no idea what I'm doing. Uh, And uh, but this I, I guess the spark started then. Uh, and then I, I started, you know, doing some research into photography, looking at port- portfolios, looking at other websites from, you know, very good photographers. And I, I started studying photography, uh, educated, educating myself, uh, asking around. And, and then I got my uh, Canon T3i uh, that helped me, you know, uh, hone my chops. And for four years, I practiced and practiced and practiced and then. I was ready to start sharing, um, and uh, it, it really developed into a, developed into a passion. But uh, I don't f- photograph people. I'm all about nature. For me, the, the real photography, the real stories are in nature. Okay. Some people choose a particular pathway when it comes to photography. So you you decide you chose nature because nature spoke to you as you shot it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, for me, storytelling, uh, real storytelling is in nature. And it's about, uh, for me, photography is really about catching the beauty in simple things. Uh, so I do not overprocess my photos like a lot of photogra- photographers do. Um, overprocessing your photos is, is not bad. Like it, it depends. It's, it's personal choice. I choose not to overprocess my photos or over edit them. So, Whatever you see in the photos is uh, mostly what I what I shoot at the time. I do limited editing. Um, so yeah, for me, the best stories are definitely in nature and in simplicity. I don't try to do things that are very complicated. Um, so yeah, for me, that that's life. Life is we can make life as complicated as we want, or we can make it as simple as we want. So for me, that's what nature is all about. Okay. I have a question. The four mm-hmm. years of photography education that mm-hmm. you you said you gave yourself, uh, what did that entail? Like, um, did you go to, did you take classes? Did you take online courses? Did you do, um, you know, apprenticeships? 
or did you just go out and shoot? Like what, what was that process? It was mostly self-education. I attended a few webinars, a few online uh, classes, uh, but it was just, you know, technical. Uh, so I went and, sh- and shot a lot. I shot a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. And I, I, and I honestly, the education never, never stops. I continue learning all the time. So it's really about reading uh, the technical aspects about photography and then, you know, practicing. It's really what it is all about. It was my path. It doesn't mean that it's the right path. It just worked for me, for my particular case. Um, I also asked asked around. I also asked for feedback from other photographers. And whether it was good or bad feedback, I always took it seriously because I know we all have specific visions, specific ideas about how to take a photo. So I try to take all that in consideration. But as I said, the learning curve, the learning process is always there. I always learn um, new things. Even like last week, I learned something new about composition. I always go back to the same places uh, so that I can practice different angles, different ways of composing. And then I realized, you know, I was in a spot that I took take photos where I take photos all the time, the same spot. And then I realized I've, I've missed, last week I realized I missed a specific spot where I take the photos and then I incorporated that spot now in my photos and I realized, oh, my photos are a little stronger than they used to be. So, yeah, the learning process never, it, it never, never stops. Okay. Uh, do you prefer digital or film? When you're, well, when I started as a digital photographer. So that's uh, where my love lies really. But I started recently doing film photography. Uh, so it's very interesting because film photography really uh, teaches you how to take photos. Uh, with digital, you know, you can take as many photos as you want. It won't cost you a thing. With film photography, you pay for every shot. So you are you have to be very, very careful about the way you take your photos. And uh, you're also limited in number of shots that you can take. So your rolls of film can be 24 exposures or 36 exposures. And I've recently uh, acquired uh, one of the workhorses that Nikon released in the 1980s, with which is the Nikon FM2. Um, so it's completely mechanical. So I'm learning to take uh, photography I'm, I'm, I'm really working on the very basics of photography right now, which, which uh, teach me a lot more about photography. I thought I knew a lot about photography, but I'm relearning some things about photography, which is very interesting. So you, you took it back a generation by going back to film to yes. help improve everything going forward. Uh-huh. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, do you have a favorite camera? Is it the new workhorse or is there a specific one that you love more than others? I, 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 right now it's, it's really my, uh, the FM2. It's really, I think it's a camera. It's beautiful. Like the, the design is beautiful. It's mechanical, the sound. And I love digital, but right now more into film. Okay. Okay. What does editing a photo entail? Because, you know, as I'm not going to say I'm a writer per se, like I've written mm-hmm. novels or anything, but I know 
Well, for you, you've written. You've written novels. You've written poems. You understand that editing the written word um, has a certain feel to it. There's a certain actions that are taken. What are the actions that are taken when you edit a photo? So it really depends on the format of the photo, basically. So uh, when you take a photo with your phone, for example, the result, the photo you will see is, is already compressed. It's, a, it's called a JPEG. That's the name of the file. So this, the editing is done for you. Uh, so when I, t- uh, when I take photos, I take photos in the raw format. Uh, so it's raw, R-A-W. So it means it's the raw, uh, your raw photo with all the little mistakes in terms of highlights, the lighting, exposure, if you're over-processed, if you're um, under-processed and so on and so forth. So what editing entails is making your photo a little better, correcting the little mistakes. So we have uh, software that we can use to edit the photos if we should in RAW. Because when you edit your photos when they're taken as JPEG, every time you edit the photo, it's going to lose a little bit of details of quality uh, when you shoot from a file that is raw then you can edit to your heart's content and it won't damage uh, the the photo you won't lose in quality so the goal is to look at you know am i happy with a highlight am i happy with a um, the exposure am i happy with a contrast and so on and so forth so it's all about those little things that will make your photo look better and look like you envision them which is exactly what you do when you edit a a novel or a manuscript hmm. so it sort of sounds like with uh music files they have um like an mp3 is already a compressed version but then they have something called flack which is like the lossless full version of the sound absolutely that's exactly it hmm. okay that's that's interesting. I did not know that. I didn't know that the JPEGs already came compressed. Um, mm-hmm. I hadn't I hadn't heard of the raw format, but now that I know, it makes sense that there would be like an unprocessed version that's available to photographers. Yeah, that's that's cool. That's cool. Yeah, it's it's for digital photography. Yeah. Because yeah. film photography, you have to develop your negatives, and it's a different thing than you scan your files, and then you work from there. It's it's a, it's slightly different. Okay, I noticed on your website you mentioned your photographic goals are simplicity and serenity. Uh, mm-hmm. Why those two particular goals? Because I believe that people make things way too diff- too complicated for themselves. <laughs> um, people don't, especially with what is happening right now, where people are are stressed out, they're worried about what's going on, and they tend to be very negative, especially in social media. Uh, we feed off the negative that, negativity that we see, uh, that we read. And for me, it's important to invite people uh, to stop in their tracks and, and look at my photos, for example, or, or read my work and think, okay, you know what, now I want to take a deep breath and I want to relax. So simplicity is about you know, looking at things and saying, oh, yeah, you know, this is a flower. Uh, it may look like a flower, but at the end of the day, I'm, I'm just focusing on that and it makes me feel calm. Uh, 
uh, serenity, same thing. It's, it's really about, you know, taking whatever I find around myself that motivates me, that inspires me and to share it with the world so that people can say, well, I feel a little relaxed right now. I feel like a life uh, I make, I may make life a little more complicated than it actually is. That's really what I want to achieve. Hmm. That's I like that. Um, especially, yeah, a lot of people like to make things way more difficult than necessary. Um, <laughs> and what's weird is that I feel like people seem to thrive on that, that chaos. They, they seem to use that frenzy as fuel in a weird way. Yes. Um, <laughs> but yeah, this, the, when they do need serenity, um, more so than the frenzy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I've you've mentioned that you've gone to Syria and Vancouver. Mm-hmm. So where else have you traveled to take photographs? Oh, I uh, I mostly stay home <laughs> to take photos <laughs> because that's a lot. Uh, Winnipeg is fantastic because there's a lot of nature. We we have a lot of forests. Uh, we have a lot of public parks. Uh, so I mostly stay home to take photos, but I sometimes go back to France, of course, uh, to take some photos and to see family. Um, I've I've gone to a lot of um, places in in Canada, of course, uh, and one of my favorite areas in the world is Hawaii. Uh, mm. I've, I've been to Hawaii three times. Hopefully, I'll be back one day. Uh, really, one of my favorite places. Um, so I, I mostly go. Uh, I try to stay within Canada, really, because Canada is such a variety of landscapes and and cultures, and it's it's really a beautiful country. So why go somewhere else when you have uh, all most of the beauty at home, right? That's true. That's true. Uh, what what led you to Canada from France? Well, I you know um, I love French food. Okay. <laughs> the French food is fantastic, uh, but I, I really, um, back in 2003, I, I really wanted a change of pace. I, I was at university in my sixth year, uh, and I was a little tired of, of living in France. I wanted, I wanted to see something different. I wanted to experience something different. I wanted to experience different cultures, different people, and uh, I'm a former English major, um, mm. I have an absolute passion uh, for the English language and I wanted to go to a place where I could speak French, uh, English every day, where I could work in English, write in English, do whatever I wanted in English. Uh, and one of my best friends lives in Winnipeg. Uh, so she invited me uh, to come and visit her and stay if I wanted to. And uh, I came in 2003 and I... Uh, never left she did an amazing job selling you on winnipeg yes (laughs) Hmm. okay uh what is it about hawaii that you love so much oh the landscapes uh the people uh so welcoming syria was a fantastic place uh people were so welcoming and there was a lot of poverty over there but still people looked so happy they live in the ruins of all the monuments and everything everywhere you went you saw kids following you and but it was an amazing experience and i learned a lot about myself there um and hawaii 
reminds me a lot of that in the sense that people are extremely nice, very welcoming, and the landscapes and the variety uh, are extraordinary. Uh, it's, it's such a beautiful, like every island is different, of course, mm-hmm. but the most welcoming people I've ever met are in Hawaii, really. Hmm. That's, that's interesting. A lot of people always credit the South for being welcoming, but I hadn't heard about how welcoming Hawaii is from a yeah. cultural standpoint. Mm-hmm. That's cool. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have one, I guess you probably asked this question before uh, in other interviews, but who are some of your favorite photographers? Oh, uh, my favorite photographer is Ansel Adams. Uh, uh, Bar none, <laughs> my favorite one. Uh, and uh, another uh, favorite photographer of mine is Isabel Nolasco, uh, the photographer with whom I co-founded um, F-Point Collective. Uh, she's a photographer from Portugal, and she's absolutely amazing. She does street photography and architecture as well, really, really well. And she actually released, released her first photography book very, very recently, so... Um, I feel very lucky and very blessed uh, to be able to work with one of my favorite uh, photographers. How did you two meet? So uh, it was a few years ago. We were part of a photography collective together. Uh, We really got along right away, right away. And unfortunately, our experience with the photography collective at the time didn't work because the way... Uh, the collective was going, uh, we didn't agree with that. So we decided to leave and, but we maintained the friendship over time. And, and once, and, and once, uh, we were discussing, you know, the opportunity to continue working together. And I said, well, we should create a collective and do our own thing. And Isabel was like, yes, let's do this. And that's how it started. Have you ever offered your some of your photos up to publications that are well known for photography um sort of like national geographic some of the, i think it's is it getty photos yeah yes. getty photos uh some of some of those larger organizations is that is that something that you've done or no no i've never uh, gone after them um i've i've never had really any interest in doing that it just um no never <laughs> okay I, I just i was curious because it, it i guess that's just me in my head making the an assumption of two plus two mm-hmm. where you know photographer wants to be in thing that is known for photography but you want your own path i, I can respect that um so let's let's pivot to poetry yeah. Uh, you, you've managed to create your own style of poetry called the Cisco. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, could you talk a little bit about that? How did, how did the Cisco come to be? So thank you for pronouncing it right. First of all, I, <laughs> so I, you did I, your research. I did my work. I did my work. <laughs> yeah. A lot of people say six coup. Um, it's so tempting. it's, it's spelled. Yeah, it's spelled S I X 
Ku. So I pronounce it Sisku because I'm French and I can. <laughs> so that's why I change the pronunciation because six is six in French, so uh, the number. Uh, so I decided to keep a little bit of French in it. So I created the poetry form in 2019 because I, I just wanted to do something a little different. I love haiku. It's my favorite poetry form. Uh, but I found myself writing uh, writing a lot more poetry based on my own images or the images I was uh, seeing around me. Uh, in haiku, uh, usually uh, you're not supposed to write based on images. You're, uh, you're not supposed to give away the main idea from an image. You're supposed to let readers open their minds uh, and read several times in order to discover the message in the haiku. So I wanted to do something slightly different. So the sisku is a three-line poem, like the haiku, but it's a six-word poem. Um, so each piece must be inspired by a photograph uh, with a reference to nature encouraged, but it's not mandatory. It's not like the, the traditional haiku. Um, so the three lines work like this. Uh, the first line is the first idea. So you can use one or two words. The second line is the second idea. So two or three words. And the third line is like the haiku, a twist or a surprise. And you use the remaining words. So you have to fit six words into uh, the sisku. Uh, because some people find it a little hard to stick to six words, I had it an exception, uh, which is a seventh word. But the seventh word has to be a very short word, uh, like an article or preposition. Uh, so we're talking about the, up, down, off, and so on and so forth. But I had rather uh, not abuse that exception if possible. Uh, like in a haiku, uh, complete, complete sentences and punctuation are optional, um, but you can use the past tense unlike the haiku because a haiku is supposed to pre present an idea in the now, in the here and now. In the sisku, you can use the past tense. So uh, it's uh, maybe I could say a six-word story, but with a twist at the end and in three lines. It's a very limited space to work with in terms of yep. word count. So you have to be really, yeah, yeah that, that's probably, hmm. I guess in casual thought, you would think it sounds simple, you know, six words, mm -hmm. but to make those six work in such a way that it's considered poetry. Also then based off of a photo. Mm-hmm. That's, I mean, that's, that sounds very tough to do because that's, you, you, now you have to, because a, a photo, as they say, is, 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 uh, it's a photo's worth a thousand words, a picture's worth mm -hmm. a thousand words, and you have yep. to narrow that down to six. Mm -hmm. Ah, that's, hmm, that's impressive, <laughs> impressive. I, uh, how many, uh, Siskus do you think you've written? Uh, well, I've published 78 on my blog right now, but I think I have about 100 of them, wow. 120 of them. I think I haven't counted, but that's more or less what I think I have. Hmm. Yeah, so you are, you are the foremost expert 
on this. <laughs> so if anyone yes. if anyone comes with a Cisco, they have to bring it to you to get authenticated. Yeah. Okay. That's that's uh impressive. Very impressive. Um thank you. You're welcome. What what about what was it about haikus that drew you originally to now have you create your own Cisco? For me, um haiku uh force you to be concise. Um they really teach you impactfulness. Uh, a lot of people think that a haiku is just 17 syllables and you have to stick to the 17 syllables in three lines, like five, seven, and five syllables. But this is actually a mistranslation of what happens in Japanese. Um, the 17 syllable pattern comes from the Japanese, but cannot actually. Uh, be fully emulated in English because the syllables are different. Um, in Japanese, the poets count the syllables in onji. Uh, onji are phonetic sounds or units. Um, so the 17 onji of traditional haiku are more or less 12 syllables in English or you can say 8 to 12 words. Um so actually, I find it more constraining to write in the five-seven-five syllable pattern uh, than trying to work in the twelve-syllable or eight to twelve, eight uh, eight to twelve-word pattern. Uh, I find my haiku to be more towards four-six-four or three-five-three, three. Uh, and that's the reason why I like haiku because not only do they force you to be concise, but they a good haiku. Uh, will force people to read between the lines. And it's really about the, the phrase we use all the time, say less, show more. And that's why haiku are such um, a, a great poetry form and a great poems. Um, and I advise all the authors and all the writers who get started with um, with writing uh, to actually learn to write haiku because they will learn to be impactful. They will learn to be concise and their descriptions will be a lot better um, if they uh, try to learn a, a poetry form like haiku. And that's really the reason why I love haiku. I'm really attracted to them because they're short, they're concise and if they're written well, the impact on the third line really will haunt you for a long time because you're like, oh, I thought that was the meaning at first sight. But after reading it three, four times, I realized that there's an interpretation that I can have every time I read it. So I find myself reading some of the most traditional haiku from the best writers, uh, haiku writers. And I read once, then there's one meaning I read the second time, I find another meaning, the third time, a third meaning. And then months later, I find myself rereading those poems and I find another meaning. So that's, to me, that's a real beauty of haiku. And that's why I love the poetry form so much. So there's, um, there's almost an element of reinterpretation each time you look at it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Hmm. And, and that's really, if you really think about it, that's really what poetry is all about. Because the way we teach poetry in, in school and at university makes us so scared of poetry. 
we try to be in the poet's mind and, and try to read their mind and scan all the lines based on the sounds that they use, on the rhymes that they use, on the words that they use. We try to interpret in a very mechanical, very technical way when real poetry should be embraced and, and read for what it is. You know, just read it and interpret it the way it makes you feel. You shouldn't be scared of poetry. You should be happy to read poetry. And if your interpretation of the poem is a certain way and is not the same as what your teachers told you it should be, then it doesn't really matter. What matters is are you happy to understand the poem that way? If it makes you happy, then that's all that matters, really. That's making me think back to uh, English class for me. Mm-hmm. And poetry was always like the hardest part yeah. because the teachers were trying to get you to think critically about what you were reading, but mm-hmm. not in your how it made you feel. It's just more about yeah. what did they say and what's the acceptable range of outcomes. And if mm-hmm. it wasn't in that acceptable range, then you know you're you're technically wrong which is absolutely which is interesting because you can't really be wrong about how you feel yeah absolutely <laughs> absolutely that's that's um, that's <laughs> that's eye opening in a in a in a way that makes me upset <laughs> just a little bit <laughs> yeah and I, and I and i studied it poetry in high school at university, I mean the the classics, John Donne, Shakespeare, and you know I can't remember all the names, but it was poetry was always scary, and I didn't like poetry when I was at university. I had to wait until I actually wrote poetry myself to start enjoying it, start really reading poetry from, you know, not just classical poets, but diversity of poets and there are a lot a lot a lot of poets who are extremely talented but who don't like sharing with the world because they think what if what I share is interpreted in the way that those professors at university interpret it you know there's there should be more openness for poetry as it is and that's why a lot of people don't like reading poetry because you know, they remember what was at university in high school. And that's honestly, it's a nightmare. <laughs> if I were to teach poetry in my life, you know, I would, I know I would, I would use uh, my experience in, in, at, at university to not make the same mistakes those professors made, really. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting that uh, a lot of different art form, a lot of different art forms get the opportunity to be somewhere be hung somewhere or be shown somewhere yeah even if it has a, uh, an interpretation that could be considered you know different or weird mm-hmm. but poetry doesn't have that same luxury yep absolutely hmm. intriguing 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 <laughs> so yes uh now we pivot to you being an author uh, you've written mm-hmm. some books. You said, I think the website said 21 or my, am oh, I yeah, unders- more. underselling <laughs> my fault. That's okay. But yeah. uh, the- I, um, I'm at, well, I finished my 28th book. The manuscript is being uh, proofread as we speak right now. So yeah, quite a few. So what genres uh, have you written in? 
Uh, so, of course, poetry a lot. Uh, I wrote a play, uh, have several photography books um, out. Um, I've also released guides uh, for authors and writers, and some of them have been uh, co-authored with uh, David Ellis, uh, the poet with whom I co-founded uh, the Poetry Journal as well. And uh, my latest foray is into humor. I released uh, my first book into the humor genre as well. Um, so I try to um, be as uh, diverse as I can because especially as a poet, um, I, I don't believe in, uh, in sticking to one genre. Uh, I think it's important to challenge yourself as an author, as an artist, uh, because if you don't, you will never be able to take your art to the next level. Um, and that's also part of, of my strategy. I've always liked to challenge. I love challenging myself every single day. Uh, I have no choice. I, I live in English. So every time I get out of the house, I have to speak English. Um, so it's, it's, it's very important for me to challenge myself and to try different things. And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. At least I tried. And that's really what I want to leave behind me, the, this desire and, and motivate people into trying things that they've never really tried before or they thought they should try, but they've been scared of doing. Uh, I think if you don't try, you will never know if you could have been successful or not. And, and then success is something we defined, we define personally. So for me, success is this ability to challenge myself and do things that make me really happy. Others will tell you that success is really about, you know, how many copies of their books they sell and so on and so forth. You know, the definition depends on each person and there's no right or wrong definition, just like we were discussing about poetry. There's no right or wrong uh, interpretation of a poem. Uh, it's whatever makes you feel happy, really. That's what really matters. Yeah. And it's interesting because society tends to suggest that you should uh, narrow down your focus to one thing and just do that one thing all the time until mm -hmm. you know the end of your days and it's just yep. people then have that epiphany that after they've done that one thing for maybe 20 25 30 35 years mm -hmm. once they don't have that thing to do anymore they're just they're left to their own devices and then they start trying to be creative and and do things at that point and it's it's mm -hmm. not that it's too late it's never it's never too late per se but it's yep. just you're you're sort of left in a space where there's so many options to you and you're, you're left mm -hmm. to fend for yourself. And, and, and it's, it's, it's probably a scary place for a lot of people when they get to that age. Mm -hmm. Cause now they, they have this desire to maybe do this thing or do something and they don't know where to go. Like, yeah. I mean, we're, we're in a, we're in a better time than it was before because mm -hmm. now we have, you know, online classes, you know, if someone is computer literate, they can do things. They can take classes at the, you know, a local library or a community center, or as I said, online, but I, it's, it's unfortunate. Maybe, you know, what, 40, 50 years ago, mm -hmm. people that were just coming out of the workforce and they had nothing, you know, they had nothing. Yeah. They, they, they mm -hmm. must've been in a tough spot. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I agree. I agree a hundred percent. It's just, uh, it, and, 
even when you do something and society forces you to just focus on one thing, um, a lot of people don't realize that by focusing on one thing, they can acquire some major skills as well. Uh, it's just this kind of sign blindness that people seem to have about what they can achieve. Uh, because I started as a poet. That's all I did for a certain number of years. But what did I do with my books? I learned about formatting. I learned about designing covers. I learned about making book trailers. I learned about promoting myself. And all these skills I acquired from doing one thing well allowed me to branch into other things because I could reuse those skills to create more books in different genres. Because once you know how to write, how you know how to, you know, you have, um, you know, the right people to edit your books, you know, the right people to proofread your books, you know, the right people to help you, then you can barter, barter, uh, you can exchange services as well. Even if you can't afford it, there's always a way you can make it work. Uh, so when you acquire very specific skills, just remember that you can reuse them into other things. Uh, just like when you learn how to blog and you are a podcaster yourself. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's not just recording an interview and doing things. It's about the editing. It's about the formatting. It's about promoting your podcast. It's about doing so many things, connecting with your audience, connecting with your guests like you've been doing with me. So it's all these skills that you have, you can use for other things. And that's what a lot of people don't realize they can do as well. So it's not just, even if you can find in one specific area, there are so many skills that you can acquire that you can reuse later. So it's kind of a, a blindness to let just one thing stop you from doing so many other things. That's true. That's true. Because I, I noticed that at times when, like because I've been podcasting, conversations sound different to me out in the wild like you know walking around and you know being in crowds of people you know you conversations that i i would normally ignore or just brush off now sound yep. like oh well maybe if we like i'm i'm actually thinking of how the person's having a conversation i'm like well that yes. pers that person's not giving that t person time to breathe you know maybe they should ask this question oh this would be a perfect follow-up yes yeah so Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, and uh, I see for myself and that's exactly what you're describing. It's it, it works in the same way when you take photos, when you write, uh, you find it's like you turn off something in your brain that allows you to be selective in the kind of information you want to receive and you want to share with the world. So you become specialized in a specific kind of listening or seeing that allows you to laser focus what the kind of information that you want to focus on. This is very interesting. Uh, and you can't compartmentalize everything. So I don't know how it is for you uh, in terms of uh, how you work with specific guests. But for example, for me, when I want to take a photo, I have a specific idea in mind, a specific challenge that I give myself so I know that I will focus on a specific part of nature I will avoid the rest so that I can uh, focus on the right composition for my photos. And this is the same for the haiku. And it's, it's very interesting how the brain, I, I feel the brain works and how you can train it to think a certain way, especially to be pos positive and not to freak out, especially in the, in the times where we live right now. Um, so it's, it's interesting how you can train your brain to actually choose to be positive or negative 
or create the kind of content that you know your audience will enjoy and how you will work with each guest or each client or each reader to deliver the things that they actually need. Yeah. And I, I think that takes, it's an active process to mm-hmm. want to stay positive. Uh, there's a, there's to be negative can be passive. It can be both, but yes. most of the time it's passive. You, you're sort of letting the negativity affect you in such a way that mm-hmm. you just become negative versus sort of sifting through the negativity to find that positive side of things. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. There's a specific someone I know who, um, will hear this and smile because they're very, very, uh, very, very interested in being positive. Like that's, <laughs> that's that person's entire, I don't want to say lifestyle, but that's, that's the main thing that's important to them is positivity. Mm-hmm. And I, I know that they're smiling when they're going to be listening to this. It's <laughs> good. One other question that just popped into mind. Mm-hmm. I know you're not limited, limited to just these three art uh, forms, which is photography, poetry, um, and creating books. But in an average day, how much time do you spend on each particular option? So like, are there, are there days when all three are involved in one, uh, 24 hour cycle? Uh, are just some, are, do you just partition off days like, okay, Monday and Thursday is photography, uh, Wednesday is, you know, I'm going to work on my book. Uh, weekends are for Cisco's. Like, what, how, how do you set up your schedule? Well, that's a good question. <laughs> it changes all the time. I don't have uh, a specific schedule for that. Uh, I know with David, for example, for the Poetry Journal, uh, we chat every day and we discuss a strategy every single day. Um, I think we didn't chat maybe one day out of the year we've worked together. Um, uh, but uh, it also depends on the weather. For example, photography, I expect a certain kind of light to take my photos because it's always nature. So uh, the light has to be very specific and the weather has to be very specific. So there will be times when I don't focus on photography for a few weeks uh, and I will just focus on the writing. Uh, right now, I'm not focused on the writing because I have, written 28 books in total I need a break (laughs) but I've always I always have ideas in the back of my mind I have more ideas for more books Uh, but I think um, it's also this excitement uh, that you have to keep in check once in a while uh, so that you can use it for other projects so there are days when I manage to do everything a little bit of everything. And there are days like today where I'm just going to do a little bit of my photography, work on editing a few photos. Uh, David and I are going to chat about the, the journal. Um, I'm also going to prepare a few blog posts for my, uh, for my blog and our blog and so on and so forth. So there's no uh, real set schedule. Uh, for me, the way I work is, am I happy doing this today? That's really the question I ask myself. If it makes me happy, I will do it. Uh, Just like, you know, we talk about writer's block all the time. If I feel stuck, if I feel that, you know, I'm not going to be able to work today, to write today, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to whip myself because I can't write. It's not the end of the world. Um, So it's really at the end of the day, it's am I happy doing this today? 
if I'm happy with it, then it's my priority for the day. I, um, and this is something I advise writers to do all the time, work with small goals, attainable goals, because these are those small goals that you can attain easily that will keep you excited about writing, that will keep you excited about creating. So don't try to do too much. Just do what you're happy doing on a set day. Hmm. I, li- I like that uh, bit of advice. It's, it's, it's almost like you're speaking to me, um, no. but you're... But- we're, ha- we're having a conversation, but it feels like you're speaking into me, I guess, so to speak. Like, okay. you're, you're, like, you know how sometimes when someone gives, like, you may read advice in a in a magazine or a book or something, or you read something that's impactful, and it's like, oh, that mm-hmm. it feels like that person's talking to me. I just had one of those moments. No, well. Do you find it tough at times when you have, actually, let me rephrase the question. When you get those moments where you're inspired... Mm-hmm. do you act upon it immediately or do you like how do how do you work with that energy well that's a great question uh it depends where i am <laughs> if i'm in the shower there's nothing i can do <laughs> in the car right uh so i try to remember and i actually have a notepad in my bathroom um just in case an idea comes to me. Uh, usually titles come in the bathroom when I'm taking a shower. So that's very funny. Uh, it really, no, honestly, it really depends where I am. Uh, most times I'm home, so I'm going to stop everything I'm doing. <laughs> if I'm eating, I'm eating quickly. I finish my, my meal and then I go to work. Uh, but I always keep a notebook close to me so that I can jot down ideas. And I know that as soon as I jot down the ideas, I will remember them. And and then the second thing is, as I was saying previously, am I happy about the inspiration that I'm getting? Because sometimes it's just like snapping your fingers and then it's like, "Eh, no, it doesn't sound like a good idea. I've I've still jotted it down. I've just written it down. But after rereading it, I'm like, "Eh, no. The idea won't work. I will keep it for later. We're, I will revisit it, and maybe I will like it then. But usually, uh, I listen to my gut feelings. So if the idea doesn't appeal to me right away, usually I won't I won't act upon it. It's just if I feel this extreme um, sense of happiness, I have feel very, very happy about the idea I'm getting after five minutes, that it means it's the right idea. And then I sit down and start working on it. That's basically what it is. But for me, um, and, and many authors don't do it. They don't listen to the gut feelings. And usually when you listen to your gut feelings, that's when you know you're right. Not 100%, but I would say 90%, 95% of the time, your gut feelings won't won't lie to you. Yes. Yeah. Well, it's definitely more than fifty. We'll we'll say it's definitely way more than fifty. Mm-hmm. Um, one more question: Your mm-hmm. creative space how mm-hmm. how do you how far is it from your living space? How, is it, is your do you have like a studio? Uh, do you have like a, a a place where you edit? that's like in the basement and you're, you know, you live above it or do you go to an office? Like how, where is your creative space? In my office, in the basement, it's completely separate from the rest of my home. Uh, but it just, uh, 
it's just in a basement where no one can bother me. <laughs> so it's really where it is. It's an entire space dedicated to everything. I have my my fo- my my photography gear there, my books and my dictionaries. Every everything is there. So it's uh, and there's a door, and I can lock the door anytime I want, uh, not to be bothered. So that's where it is. Do you feel that it's important to have those two spaces separate? Oh yes, absolutely. Even though I am an artist and I live and breathe photography and poetry and writing, um, you have to be able to separate uh, real life <laughs> from the writing, basically. It's important to give yourself a breathing space uh, so you can create in the best way possible, I think. Uh, uh, I used to work upstairs in the middle of the dining room, and I find. I never find myself as creative as I am when I, uh, from when I started working downstairs, really. Um, I'm a lot more creative now that I have this very dedicated space and my workspace is a complete mess, but it's just me. <laughs> I love working in mess. That's who I am, uh, which is very interesting because my a desk is a mess, but I'm very organized in my brain. So it's very, very interesting how I work. But yeah, um, I cannot work when there's a lot of noise around me. That's one of my my things. I have to be in complete silence or listen to the kind of music that triggers my creativity, my inspiration, which is classical music or really uh, upbeat music, positive music. But yeah, to answer your question, yes, I, I find this uh, dedicated space a lot more effective for my creativity. Okay. And my my last question about that is the music. You mentioned classical and upbeat. Uh, what artists do you listen to to help you create your work? Most of the time I don't listen to music. I just listen to music when I really, really like inspiration. Really, really like inspiration. There are a few times when I put some music so um, my favorite bands, uh, Genesis, ABBA, Supertramp, Depeche Mode, and one of the classical pieces that I listen to the most often is the Warsaw Concerto, uh, Concerto, sorry, um, which is a beautiful piece of music and always gives me shivers when I listen to it, but it increases, uh, my creativity and my inspiration a lot. You give the shivers too, huh? I thought that. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Uh, okay. You know, I, not many people talk about the shivers when it comes oh, to yeah. music. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's 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 good to hear. Good to hear. Okay. I think we're good. I think we're I've run out of questions. Mm-hmm. Um is there anything else that you uh may want to bring up or is there any No, other topic? I I just want to thank you very very much. For this opportunity and, and for your time, it was uh, a lot of fun, and I and I really appreciate uh, your time and your questions. I was going to say the same. Thank you for being a guest. Uh, thank you for uh, offering up. Oh, thank you for responding to the post, and then making yourself available for this conversation. It's interesting. I didn't think that I'd keep talking to people about their creative processes. But I think that post took on a life of its own and just said, you know what, <laughs> you, there's a few other people out there that want to say a few things and um, I'm going to listen. I, I, I can't really turn down when the universe tells me a thing. So 
Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna ride this wave until there's you know until I'm fully on land, so to speak. That's great. There's a lot of people actually want to say things <laughs> about creativity and art and so on and so forth. And yeah. what I find really interesting is that each person will have different things to say, but I think the message is always the same if you really look into it, which is the beauty of art in itself, not just poetry or photography. It's art, good art, the art that makes you think, the art that you know gives you emotions is... This, the message is the same. We will say things in different ways, but the end message, the conclusion is always the same for me. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. Because everybody, everybody creates differently. Mm-hmm. Um, and everybody creates different things differently. But it's, mm-hmm. I think it's all for the same kind of end goal, which is to express something to someone else mm-hmm. in, a, in a different way, whether yeah, it be absolutely. visual, audio, written word, you know, it could be anything, um, even fashion, mm-hmm. if, same thing for fashion. Like it's, it's, all, mm-hmm. it's all being created with an idea to get an idea across to someone else. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, uh, once again, thank you for being on today's show. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Yeah. Could you tell the listeners where they can find you in the yeah. social media space? Okay. Uh, so they can go to my website. Um, so it's sandrinemedia.com. Sandrine is spelled C-E-N-D as in David, R-I-N-E-M-E-D-I-A. So sandrinemedia.com. Uh, and then once they see my name, Sandrine Marois, <laughs> they can look for me and they will find me very easily because there's just, my name is unique. Yeah. Uh, the yeah. first name and the last name are unique. So they will find me very easily. I'm on Facebook. I am on Twitter, on Instagram, on YouTube. And if they have a, a, a hard time finding me, they say they look for Sandrine Media and they will find me. There's no way they can't find me. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's it should be pretty easy. Once again, thank you for your time. No, thank you. Thank you. Uh, you're welcome. Um, and you have a good day. You too. Thank you again. All right. Bye bye.